Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Special is about a woman in her mid-50s, a curvy woman of color, and then a gay guy with CP. Like, ordinarily, on any other show, they would be like the sidekick, and now they're all the main characters. It's like all these things that we're used to seeing the side dishes, they're all the main course. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of In the Envelope. There is a lot going on at Backstage at the moment, and so I'm going to keep today brief and get to this wonderful interview. It's a joint interview with Ryan O'Connell and Poonam Patel, the Emmy-nominated stars of the Emmy-nominated Netflix comedy special, which in its first season was a short-form series, only 15 minutes, so I recommend it. Very worth your time. Uh, And season two, which is a full half-hour comedy length, comes out today, May 20th. Ryan and Poonam are the perfect podcast guests because they are early career enough that they know the exact things to say to early career artist listeners, but they are certainly established enough in their careers and just in themselves. They know their strengths. They know what they're here to do. They certainly know what they're here to do on special. And it was really cool to hear about the process that went into specifically season two. Just to give some background on special, Ryan adapted it from his book. Ryan is a gay man who has mild cerebral palsy. And on the show, he plays a younger version of himself, kind of loosely based on his life, a character named Ryan. And uh, Poonam plays his supportive and hilarious coworker, Kim. And it's a very funny show and also, you know, worth noting, sadly, one of the very few shows out there centering disability in a compelling and genuinely authentic way. So I implore you to go watch that show. There's a moment in the third episode of season two that made me laugh harder than I've laughed at a TV show in months. And this interview is fabulous because it's full of audition advice, especially from Poonam, Uh, how to advocate for yourself and harness confidence as an artist, especially from Ryan. And we even got to stuff like navigating the portrayal of intimacy on camera. But also worth noting this week, next week, May 26th to 28th, Backstage is throwing our first ever event called, we're calling it Backstage Fest. It is a festival featuring a bunch of Emmy contenders. In fact, it is 14 virtual events featuring over 45 guest speakers This includes Zoom webinars, panel discussions, social media takeovers, and the intimate interviews that you followers of Backstage love, all concentrated into three just whirlwind days of of activity. We've been putting a lot of work into it. Shout out to the team at Backstage for putting this together. It's our first ever, but not, I think, our last. 
The link is very easy. It's join.backstage.com slash backstagefest. But you can find that in the episode description of this episode. And uh, stay tuned for further updates from Backstage as we head into Emmy season. Next week's episode of the podcast will, in fact, be happening on Tuesday to make way for Backstage Fest. And uh, that's all there is for now. Um, Thank you for listening. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and then get to this lovely interview with Ryan and Poonam from the Netflix comedy special. Applications are now available for UCLA's Professional Program in Acting for the Camera. Gain knowledge from successful industry professionals and receive a world-class acting education in three quarters consisting of scene study, acting for the camera, and career development workshops, an intimate classroom environment with a maximum of 16 students per workshop, and a certificate of completion from the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Students are encouraged to apply early, space is limited, admission is competitive. Just Google UCLA Professional Programs and you'll find us. Multi-hyphenate Ryan O'Connell is a TV writer on Awkward, Daytime Divas, and Will and & Grace, and is the author of I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves, which he's adapted into the Emmy-nominated Netflix comedy Special. Theater and comedy-trained Poonam Patel is a fellow Emmy-nominated star of Special, as well as Kevin from Work, Time for Bed with Poonam Patel, and more. Here are the hilarious Ryan O'Connell and Poonam Patel. How are you guys doing? Like, what has the pandemic been like? How's your 2021? <laughs> 2021's been really good. I mean, okay. relative to what a lot of people in the world are going through, I feel like yeah. it's been really nice. We can finally see like an inch of hope coming our way as yeah. far as the world. And then obviously, you know, the show stuff has been really exciting and yeah, I feel like 2021 is already looking better than 2020. But to be quite honest, like, yes, 2020 was rough. But even Ryan and I would joke around at the beginning of the pandemic. I felt like I was thriving. Ryan would call me and he'd be like, how are you happy? How are you doing okay? I'm like, I don't know. Well, I felt like you were just compartmentalizing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, we all were. I mean, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like I, I'm fully vaxxed, so like I'm in these streets. You know what I mean? I'm like ready. I'm like fully ready to party today. I did my first neighborhood walk without my mask on because the CDC said I could. That's right. Um, yeah. So she felt really liberated about that. I mean, yeah. kind of feel the same way about Poonam, which is like we made this thing in 2020. We made half of it before the pandemic, half of it during the pandemic, and it feels really nice to be kind of. Uh, having the fruits of our labor finally come, cool. like like having a celebratory moment because last year was so bleak. So yeah. it feels good to to just, yeah, like we need something. Cool. Yeah. Great. And congratulations. It's, I mean, it's an amazing, it's a wonderful show. And I have to tell you that moment, I believe it's in episode three of season two, uh, how many licks uh, <laughs> moment. I guess it's a spoiler alert for those who haven't heard it, but it is the hardest I've laughed watching TV in the <laughs> longest time. 
That's so funny. You know, Poonam, I had an interview with another guy that referenced that like a million times. I feel like maybe we we hit something. We hit the zeitgeist. Well, Lil' Kim. I mean, people sleep on Lil' Kim because, you know, she hasn't come out with something in a while, I don't think. Right. But that was a hit that we can all agree on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was also well, a simultaneous realization that I knew every word of the song and I was like, that's yeah. weird. It came too yeah. easy. What had to what had to die in order for that to live? Well, actually, um, that originated. That we were originally going to sing "I Got You, Babe" by Sunny and Cher, and we realized we needed to cut cut the treacle. Uh, We realized it was too like too sincere. Like, like what was what would what would be like the special version of it? Well. Like the character of Kim has like intimacy issues at the Wazoo, so she would never like actually do a romantic song for a boy that she was into. Like, how many licks is her version of doing like a Taylor Swift song? So (laughs) I felt very appropriate. (laughs) So this podcast is norm normally this podcast is focused on you know craft and career advice for actors, for creators, for those trying to navigate Hollywood. So there's a lot there's a lot of ground to cover, but I'd love to know like. both of your journeys through the biz. Like, first of all, what was the childhood dream for both of you? Was it, Ryan, was it writing? And Poonam, was it acting? Uh, Yeah, I think we both have kind of not traditional pathways and you go first. Actually, like the earliest thing I can remember that's recorded was in like a childhood yearbook. And it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was like, when I was in pre-K, and my answer, people were like, doctor, astronaut. My answer was I wanted to own a pet store in Las Vegas. So I've been all over the place since I was little. But then I think for a super long time, I wanted to be a pediatrician. And then I was like, no, I won't be able to handle it. And then I was like, I'm going to go into fashion design. I just actually found an old Lisa Frank binder full of like Uh. all these sketches and like drawings of like clothes I had designed when I was younger. Um, And then obviously I didn't do that either. And then I was a journalism major. And then yeah, I just started doing cool. improv in college and like fell in love with comedy. And then from there got into theater and then from there got into TV. Wait, okay, okay hold on though. Like, like Poonam like, literally was like working as a journalist. Like she lived in Atlanta. She like literally like ran, like didn't you like run a magazine? Yeah, I was um, the editor of this like fashion apparel guide. So I did like trend forecasting. Um, ah. And like predicted, like, this is what you should stock in your stores or your boutiques two seasons in advance. I was straight out of college. Fashion is so arbitrary. Sorry. Drag me. (laughs) Like, literally, I would just like look at runway shows and find patterns and be like, yes, roaring 20s jewelry, spring 2007. (laughs) Like, literally. And people would be like, okay. Um, And then after that, I worked for like business magazines. Um, which wasn't as fun. But yeah, I was like managing a team of editors and a graphic designer and living that magazine lifestyle. <laughs> I did not know and that. Then, so you both have that in common because of course you were in the journalism world too. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I was like writing about like anal sex and like boys who wouldn't text me back. <laughs> so it was like a different <laughs> flavor. True. Um, but yeah, I was working for as a blogger and I had always wanted to write for television. And I always knew that um, there was a shelf life to blogging. It was not sustainable financially or emotionally. So um, I was always eager to jump ship and go into land of TV writing for sure. Awesome, yeah. What was the um what about the earliest inspirations in terms of other 
art or maybe specifically TV that you watched? For me, I would say Martin Lawrence. I think Oh wow, cool. <laughs> that was like the first show that I saw and he played like multiple characters. And I just still to this day, I still follow this account on Instagram that's like just clips from the show Martin. I just thought he was so funny. He was so free, like to just do whatever he wanted on his show. That was literally his name was the title of the show. He played himself. He got to play all these characters. Yes, maybe, you know, maybe some of them have not aged well. Maybe some of them are a little problematic now. Sure. But I remember just thinking how like that was just so cool. Yeah. Oh, amazing. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mine is not that, but it's from... <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm like, my comedy is mostly influenced by Martin. Um, well, that's no. saying it's not my biggest influence, but that's my earliest yeah. it was influence. Anna. Yeah. Well, yeah. the first the first thing I remember seeing where I was like, oh, I want to write for TV and film is I, the movie Scream. I snuck into it when I was in middle school. And uh, I thought it was just like, I mean, clearly it was like written by a gay man with Kevin Williamson. And like, it was just very snappy, poppy. And um, I really took to it. And also uh, popular on the WB, Ryan Murphy's first show. Yes. uh, Was gay and iconic before I even knew like what having a queer sensibility was, or even before I read Susan Sontag's Camp. Like I just knew like as a 12 year old, I was like, why am I deeply connecting to this like high school sophomore who's basically a drag queen named Mary Cherry? And um, yeah, yeah, we still don't really know the answer to that other than you're gay, you're gay, you're gay. (laughs) Um, So that was was the first time though, like comedically where I really tapped into a rhythm and a sensibility that I just was like, oh, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I want to do and the exact kind of jokes I want to make and all that stuff. And you were really studying that. I read that you um, had captions on the TV because then it was like reading a script. Yes, it was very a beautiful mind. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, she took to it. She took to it. I've actually never seen a beautiful mind, so maybe the comparison's offensive. I actually don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I, maybe sure. I should reference things I actually have seen so I don't step on a bomb. Um, sure. But uh, but basically, yeah, I mean, I I really, really liked television and I was obsessed with the format of television, the structure of television. I'd ask for scripts for Christmas and for my birthday of like Buffy scripts and Dawson's Creek scripts. Um, Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I were my parents, I'd be like, oh, he's gonna be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I would be like, I'd be like, I'm scared scared for him socially, but I think he's gonna make money. <laughs> like I think we, I think we got you know we've laid we've uh, laid the golden egg. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, the fact that you even weren't just like consuming it at a like I feel like when we're young, like we just consume, but the fact that your brain was working in a way that you're like, no, I want to create that. Yeah, yeah, you're good. I was a t- I was a type A Virgo from hell. Um, mm. you know, still still am to this day. Highly identify. Yeah. And maybe around. that's where the where special comes in is like, how did this come to be? And Poonam, how were you? I'm very curious to hear about the casting because I didn't realize the extent to which season one was a shoestring budget production. Yeah. Um, it didn't really yeah. show. I, I fully assumed it was filmed in Los Angeles and not oh. elsewhere. Um, but so how, like, take us through the journey of how did this show come to be? Well, um, we tried selling it in 2015. Uh, 
Jim Parsons had read something I wrote about my book and he he got my book and loved it. And uh, so I went with him. It was their first project together. So we were kind of both losing our development cherries at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, I just loved Jim so much. I met with a few other production companies, but um, I found Jim to be so warm and so kind and so like understanding of what I wanted to do. And I also knew that he had power to push things through and like knew that like, that was also very important. So, um, so we went out, we pitched it. This was 2015 when like, you know, Insight Schumer was a revolutionary because like women were funny, dot, dot, dot. You know what oh, I mean? God. Like, so queer disability was like in two point font on the, dis- the diversity list, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so people weren't ready for this jelly, they all passed. Then we went to a digital incubator within Warner Brothers, which is where which is where Jim Parsons production was set up, and they commissioned me to write eight scripts that were short form. Mm-hmm. And then Netflix came on board. This is all very truncated. It didn't happen. It, this was over the course of four years, and it was like yeah. I wanted to give up like four thousand times because it just felt like getting this show made was going to be Mission Impossible. And honestly, it was made for two dollars maybe even like less than that. But I think that allowed it to get me because I think we kind of like, I always think of it as like, we snuck in through the back door when the bouncer was asleep and like, you know, then they were like, okay. And then Puna, mm. she's, the, she's the only person who auditioned for the role of Kim. We never saw anyone else. We didn't uh. too. <laughs> um, I, I knew Puna from this like two scene part she did on the gay and wondrous life of Caleb Gallo. Um, which was Brian Jordan Alvarez's web series. And I thought she was so fucking funny. And then my boyfriend was like, you know, that's Poonam. She was in CBS Diversity Showcase with me. I love that I don't really remember you from CBS Diversity Showcase, but I do remember you from a, like a two-line part. Like, it's yeah. insane. I just thought... Yeah, well, because the showcase is like so many people. And I think I was playing like Malala Yousafzai or something like oh. that. So, you know, I'm sure you were like, oh, who's this grown ass woman playing this teenage Afghani girl? Um, (laughs) So I'm sure that's why I didn't stick as much. (laughs) But I got to say, it's it's a testament to there are no small parts, only small actors. Yes. I was obsessed with uh, I was obsessed with her in that. And then we met at Sycamore Kitchen for a lunch date. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Salads. Mhm. 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 And then, uh, and we just got along like a house on fire. I think. Yeah. I mean, it was like no, it was we did. Easy. We hit it off like immediately because I don't even think at that point I don't remember if you had sent me the scripts or not. But I remember there was like some, my team had been like, oh, there's a show. This guy's interested. You want to meet him? And I think I had just gotten the synopsis, or actually no, I probably had read the scripts and loved them, and that's why I was like, let me meet with him. Um. Because it was the first time in a long time I had read something and I was, like, actually laughing out loud. Like, Because you read so many scripts as an actor. Um, and, you know, it's just hard for things to translate sometimes, especially when you're just looking at it and not as invested in it because you're just auditioning or what, seeing if you have interest. But, oh. like, I kept wanting to read every single page, like, mm. over and over again. Awesome. And it was so funny. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll meet with him as a formality. But in my head, I was already like, yeah, who's going to say no to this? And the and the character was just so fun. And then after meeting with Ryan, like, I mean, we fell in love. Yeah, it was really <laughs> fun. I, I think you're the only main character that we never saw anyone else for because we just knew 
that you would kill it. You did such an amazing job. And I remember we like did a chemistry read for Warner Brothers, which was like lol and fun. And yes, then, it was very fun. Yeah. And then and then that's it. Then we're off to the races in Austin, Texas, baby, which was like summer camp vibes. It was like really it, yeah. so fun. Oh. So fun. And we had like so already fun. become friends before we even got to Austin because it's like we met and then we like hung out over hung the out. summer. So by yeah. the time, like before we'd even filmed together, I was like, this is my friend. I'm doing a show with my friend. <laughs> like, we had, we, had a, cool. we, had, we had a friend date to go see Kathy Griffin. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, which, yes. Which, which like, can I just say like, okay, like, I am a Kathy head. Like I know that she's Same. kind of, I know that she's kind of disturbia and she's been through so much shit and she's sort of like not quite right. Like she's been like chewed up and spit out. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. she, She's not quite right. I'm not condoning everything she does. She but almost think, also like made a career of chewing her own self up and spitting her own self out. Yeah, I mean, like you just like <laughs> not. This is like a tan on Kathy, but like you can just tell when someone's been in the business too long and has like been through too much that where like they just become weird and like not quite yeah. right. So she's definitely in that space. But like, so anyway, I thought it was like and like Kuda was like like I, like why would I be like oh Kuda must love Kathy Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> So odd. Comedian. But, yeah. But, but Kathy did like this four hour set, which I mean, I was like, give me, give me more, give me more. But like, <laughs> I don't know what you were like, this bitch, man, you sit through fucking four hours of Kathy fucking Griffin. God damn it. She's like, I already have the part, motherfucker. Can we tell the story? This is like so LOL, but back to the show having been made for no money. And by the way, I'm never allowed to talk about this. They get so mad at me, but I don't give a shit. Is yeah. remember when you were. Uh, the planes. Uh-huh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so we have a night out that is truly insane. Like, we yeah. raged. We raged like we never raged. Like, and we were, it was so funny because like, we were Like, completely we were, out of character. Out of in character. In Austin? Yeah. Like, yeah. we stayed out till, like, 6 in the morning. It was like that. Yeah, we, like, went in the pool at 5 a.m. Yeah, and that is not who we are. That is not okay. who we no, are. No, it was no. Ryan's birthday. It's my birthday. And, um... And, you know, and then so she's, you know, Poonam's hung over the next day and she's like, well, and she, you had to fly home and you're like, well, at least I'm going to be in first class. And I was like, you got flown first class? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and then it was revealed that I was the only one who did a good I was appalled. And and wasn't it like, didn't you have like the last row middle seat or something yeah. insane like that? I, I was like, did. no. Oh my God. I know this is very relatable content for the people that are looking yes. to break, the, for the people looking to the envelope that are looking to break into the biz, please put in your writer or something that you need to be flown for business. I did not know that. I did not understand that. So I was... Okay. I was just happy to be there, happy to play, but I loved that first class reveal. Puna knows what the f she's doing. She doesn't fuck around. She's she knows. She knows. Well, that's well. I like feel like I've surrounded myself with people who know because, like, in general, I don't feel like I'm like very aggressive, but I feel like I've surrounded myself with a team that can be on my behalf because I 
Like, at the end of the day, I'm going to be like, I'm just happy to be here. Like, I can't believe you guys even let me in. You know what I mean? And so to yeah. have a team that's like, no, this is actually what you're worth and this is actually what you should do. And they find, like, creative ways to find value, too, because, like, you know, the budget for season one was really low. So, you know, we weren't getting paid as much, but then they found creative ways to be like, okay, but we'll fly you first class or we'll do this or whatever. Gotcha. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, but I don't, I think I'm a daughter of immigrants. I don't mess around. No, that's what I mean. Like, 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 I think that you and I are both quietly very ambitious and we know what we want and we're like secretly yeah. just like very laser focused and like, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like we don't, yeah. we don't f- around. And I think that's like in a weird, like a dirty word, like it's like ambition. It's like, I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like every profile you read of someone who's like done a successful show, they're like, I literally don't know. I just like farted twice and the show came out and I like, literally, <laughs> I'm so stoned doing this interview. Like, I don't even know where I am. I'm such a f-ing mess, LOL. And you're like, babe, no. Like yeah. this takes a lot of planning, a lot of effort and a lot of work and a lot yeah. of like foresight. Like I, like I, I am very open about the fact that I'm driven as fuck and I like want yeah. certain things to happen and that's it. And I think that's and trusting, okay. Like trusting your own instincts too. Cause I, I know, especially like starting out <clears throat> the world yes. and the industry can feel so new and so overwhelming that you're like, well, what do I know? I'm just lucky to be here. Let me just trust everyone around me. But then kind of always coming back to your gut as your compass and being like, well, actually, yeah, I may not have the years of experience or like the knowledge on the details of this contract, but I know in my gut what feels right and what I'm worth. Yeah. And I know there's like power in saying no or power in saying yes to things that other people might want to say no to. Like you can trust mm-hmm. your own instincts no matter where you are in your career, I think. Excellent. Well, you just also know that you're really good. I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna just like blow you up right now and say you moved here like what, when you were 30, 29? Mm-hmm. Okay, 30. so first of I all- move, I for, turned 30. First of all, LOL, deciding to be an actress at age 30. Like that's already yeah. like, oh my God, honey, like you're reinventing the wheel. Like this is yeah. incredible. So then she goes to CBS Rustic Showcase, she slays. Literally before her show, she gets like news that she's a series regular on a on a show, Kevin from work. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's like off to the races. Like she didn't even fucking like. It was just like she fucking books, and she books for a reason <laughs> because she is so incredibly talented and so yes. like your work ethic is so impressive to me. Like you just always came so prepared, and also she's a gifted, gifted improviser. So like a lot of the jokes that you'll can read or hear, hear about in special, they came yeah. from her brain and I'm like, great. I'm just like, make me look good. <laughs> love that, love that. Exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's a two for oh, one, two for one. Very sweet. And it, But I will also say like working with you, not to boomerang the compliment, but you make an environment where like people do feel comfortable being collaborative and it's like building on what you've already done and you're so open that it like makes all of us better too because you give us kind of the leeway and the authority to make our own decisions about our characters too while still respecting what you've written and I think that just that combination makes it so good well most of the actors I hired came from like an improv writer's background and like you know, sometimes there are good actors who want to improv and you're like, honey, please stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, like, sure. well, uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. And but, sometimes the scene ends and they're still improvising and you're like, honey, we're not even shooting anymore. 
Yeah, you're like night night, but but special was the opposite. Special, I kind of I kind of knowingly hired people that were kind of like multi hyphenates, people that I knew could write and that were just gotcha. inherently very funny because I I wanted it to be a collaborative atmosphere. I've been in jobs that have been ruled by fear and have been very stifling environments and like. That does not bring out the lulls in me. That does not make me feel like soaring creatively. So I know that it's really important to nurture a really positive environment because I will get the best work from everybody that I'm hiring. Like I will, like they, if they feel free to do whatever the fuck they want, like it's only going to make the end product be that much better. Totally. This and you're like hiring people gold. you trust. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're surrounding yeah. yourself with people you trust, which is actually really smart because then you don't have to carry everything. Cause even yeah. like, aside from jokes, like if there was something that had to do with like being Indian or like being an Indian daughter in a family, I could mm-hmm. always come to Ryan and be like, well, I think the dad would say something like this, or I think he would think something like this. And, and I'd be Ryan, like, you, it's my yeah. work. Okay. You're like, I'm Indian. I'm I know Indian. what's I'm best. I'm an Indian daughter. Okay. <laughs> this is coming from my experience. Don't co-op my experience. <laughs> You're right. like, I don't care. <laughs> Culture of, yeah, totally. I'd be like, shut up and just say your line. <laughs> You're not oh, eating God. lunch with us today. <laughs> You're uh, eating literally. lunch in your trailer today. <laughs> no, but it is, it is funny because Putin can literally land any joke. And I remember like, there was like one or two jokes that I've written for her that did not work. And it was like the biggest humiliation as a joke writer. Because it's like, if, if Putin can't do it, then you oh, fuck okay. up. Like, sure. you shit the bed. If she can't, like, she can take something, like, she can turn shit into gold, and if she can't take something and, like, ma- like turn it around, you're like, oopsie, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no like, way. my bad. It's true. It's true. This is all really, this is really illuminating. This is really pure gold because I'm always interested. I'd especially love to hear, this is especially true for TV, how much did the character of Kim change from, like, the first draft of the script in for Ryan and then all the way to the end of now season two for Poonam. That's interesting. Because um... that doesn't happen for a play or a film. You know, a character develops over time. And like, how surprising was she from the, from the first iteration to the last? Well, I think, I think because, again, you brought so much of your own stuff to it, Poonam, even like with your own ad libs and your own improv. Like, I think, I think honestly, like, like, again, like, Olivia singing, Marla singing, that was very much coming from Marla. Like, I think that you guys really did infuse your own thing into the character. And I think with Kim, especially with season two, um, maybe, I don't know. I mean, you can can speak to that more than I can. I'm sure you felt, I don't know. Yeah, no, I would say like, I mean, you know, I've heard Ryan say before, like, oh, season one, I didn't get to like dive into Kim as much. I wanted to dive into her more. I still, even with like 15 minute episodes, felt like I still got like such me- a meaty experience out of her in season one because Ryan's just such a brilliant writer that he was able to pack so much story and character development into such a small amount of time where it doesn't even feel crammed in there. Mm-hmm. And somehow you're like, oh wait, it's over. But like to be able to do that with, Kim, who wasn't even one of the main characters in season two, but you still get to see like so much of her vulnerabilities. I felt like he kind of planted these seeds and then season two, you get to just, I would Mm. say maybe not even see the seeds grow. You almost like dig the ground up and see the seeds like almost like rotting in the ground and then like having to clean the 
rot off the seeds and nurture them and plant them again and then watch them grow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like you really like, Kim kind of gets like dragged through it season two, Kim, but Kim, I love it. Kim goes through it. Kim goes yeah. through it. Kim is like, I mean, well, I, so, so season two, obviously, like they, Netflix wanted to do 15 minute episodes again. Um, and I refused. And that was okay. like my big, that was like my big power flex move of like being like, no, because um, I just, I loved the character of Kim so much. And I just felt like I was doing such a disservice having her kind of be Ryan's emotional cheerleader. Like, yes, we did dive into her a little bit, but it really was like a two-hander. And like, mm. I really, really don't like, like this friend that's just like, you go boy, like go that sex worker you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i i was like i was like i want to see her when she goes home i want to see her dating life so so punam was a huge huge reason why i wanted to expand it to half an hour because with 15 minutes i felt like i was always um shortchanging i would like and it was, i also just felt stifled as a creator honestly not being able to do everything i wanted to do i felt like i had creative blue balls so netflix gave me the half hour mm-hmm. and um that was really really exciting because i knew that we could take kim to really interesting places and i mean meeting her family his yeah. family is insane and that was another thing it's like you know <laughs> it's always a balance of like hiring a person of color and not making the character all about mm-hmm. either their skin tone or their body shape or whatever yeah. let it, ryan did such a good job at painting Kim as a whole full person, but then still acknowledging that there are things about her that are different, Mm -hmm. such as her Mm -hmm. being Indian, such as her being curvy, and then all these other personality traits that are just so universal to so many people and what they go through. And I feel like in season two, we really got to celebrate all those things about her instead of Mm. being like, look, we hired a fat brown girl. Let's talk about her being fat and brown mm. in your face. Like mm-hmm. he just yeah. did such a brilliant, him and all the writers did such a brilliant job of normalizing her, but still celebrating all these specific things about her as well. And I think one mm. of the coolest moments was like looking around on set for this one week and literally like being surrounded by Indian people like that. That just doesn't happen. They don't let more than one of us on set. It just doesn't happen. And I was like, is this what white people feel like all the time? Because it was like, I never am on a set where people around me look like me ever. I'm always the only one. And so I was just so grateful for that because it's really powerful to see and to witness and experience firsthand. Yeah. Well, Poonam, I had I had that same experience doing Crip Prom. I, I, yeah. I we, we did this episode where Ryan goes to a Crip Prom, and so I was working with all disabled actors for like a whole, like a couple of days, and it was like mm-hmm. the first time I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm in the majority for the first time. Mm-hmm. I have never been in yeah. the majority not once exactly. in my. I'm like, and I've always said about special. I'm like, special is about a woman in her mid fifties. Uh, you know, uh, a woman of a curvy woman of color, and then a gay guy with CP. Like ordinarily, on any other show, they would be like the sidekick, and now they're all the main characters. It's like all these things that we're used to seeing the side dishes. They're all the main course, and that's what I think yeah. is so exciting about the show. Yeah, we're yeah. a small plate. And that actually, I... <laughs> yeah, so like we're used to, we're used to being tapas. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we're no tapas. More tapas. <laughs> We're tapas, baby, but no more. No, no tapas more. to topless, yeah. yeah. Think you can write two feature screenplays or a TV spec and two original TV pilots in less than nine months? If you are accepted into the UCLA professional program in screenwriting or writing for television, you will. 
Both programs begin this fall. Learn from renowned UCLA instructors and you'll receive a world-class education in less than a year, an intimate environment with a maximum of 10 students per instructor, guidance from writing your script through navigating the industry, and a certificate of completion from the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Just Google UCLA Professional Programs. You'll find us. Poonam, I want to ask you, as the as the actor who has had multiple auditions, we always ask for audition advice. But yeah. Ryan, do you consider yourself an actor? Like Ryan, you t- please for listeners who don't know, tell us the story of why you were not willing to like cast uh, an able-bodied actor in the role of Ryan, and why you then yeah. stepped into the role. Well, I mean, I think when we first pitched it, it sounds crazy to say, but we had no one attached as Ryan, which feels really, really crazy. And and I had never thought about putting myself in the part. It wasn't like I was like deep rooted, like I want to be in this, but I don't have the courage to say yes. Like, like it was not yeah. like that. It was so buried underground, honey, that like it was like she needed a lock. She needed a pen, pin. Like it was like it was I, I was not even aware of my own desire to perform, even though. Like now I can fully admit that like I love performing and I do like, I do like acting. I like writing more, but I do like to act. Um, And I think, you know, it's come a long way for me to have to like admit that. Like, I feel like I've had this like weird scholar letter about it that I can't even quite understand. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it was very clear that we were never going to hire an able-bodied person to play a disabled character that just like was not going to fly. Um, And, you know, when we went to, when, when it became a, downsized production, if you will. Uh, it was very clear that like, they were just like, like I remember stage 13 was like, oh, Ryan, you should just do it. You should just play yourself. And I remember being like, this is insane. Like I, 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 I truly, truly, I'm probably like the only person in LA that like, randomly became the star of their own TV show without like trying to, or without needing to. Again, very relatable. Deeply relatable. Now so let's go. To, now let's talk more about how they didn't find me first class. Okay, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it's true. I, I remember, like, I went to an acting coach um, before season one started, and I was like, I can't even do group classes because I think everyone will just hate me. Be like, hey guys, so I'm like starring in my own Netflix show. I've literally never acted before, so like, <laughs> babe, I need to like learn how to act because like I'm literally the lead. Like, I mean, it's like, honey, I'm like need to wear a bulletproof vest. Do you know what I mean? Like, in it's LA, not yes. good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's not. So, but like, it's it's funny because like I re- I remember put on like when we were shooting like the first week I was struggling with a scene or something like that and you literally were just like babe it's just talking and I was like <laughs> oh oh my god that's so true <laughs> and I, like, I, I truly like felt so like that clicked in for me like the advice I was like oh yeah I'm literally just having a conversation I have conversations all the time it's like okay mm-hmm. great um but I mean it, I just it, it felt like a very supportive atmosphere to kind of get my sea legs. And I think also being able to rewrite certain lines that like didn't come naturally to me or whatever, like being able to twist everything, like, that, like that also helped, that also helped. She could write yeah. within the con, she could write within the confines of her own range, um, <laughs> she, you know? Um, but I think even season two, I got a lot more confident as an actor and um, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I, I still, I have not auditioned. I like won't go on them because like spiritually I can't, but, um, but maybe one, but maybe one day it's hard. It's hard. It's hard when you are used to having such control 
And like, I used to get auditions and like so many of them, and you can attest to this, are really bad. And like, because I don't act to like make a living, I feel like I have the right to be really, really choosy. And like, I'd rather have like two lines, like as the mailman in a like, in a Mike White movie, than like, you know, be like the third gay guy in like a piano dance movie or something. Do you know what I mean? Piano dance movie. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they're green lighting these days. Step, 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 up, step up 40, you know, like Truly. the game. Right. Um, that's not really what I want to do. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Acting seems tough. I mean, like, but, um, you, like, aud- like, you audition. Like, like it's, like, intense. I, I don't it know is. how you do it. Yeah. Well, this past year has obviously been really different. Yeah. Well, you know, now it's like we're doing only self-tapes. Um, yes. Which I think have their benefits and their downfalls obviously benefits being like you can do as many takes as you want until you like um what you have but then also you can do as many takes as you want so you can get in your head a lot more easily i would say um but i would say yeah like what i said to ryan i say to myself all the time especially if i'm not like auditioning to play like a giant character thing which most of the time i'm not it's like we're playing heightened versions of ourselves or in Ryan's case, you're playing like a version of yourself from a different time mm-hmm. in your life. Um, and just like trying to read things and think about like, well, how would I actually say this? And then, of course, when you're lucky enough to be in an environment like special where you can be like, I wouldn't say it like this. I would say it like this. Can mm-hmm. I? And they're like, yes, that's great. But I would say for actual auditions, like I think for a long time, I felt so bad bothering people about like, can you help me run this or whatever? Get yeah. over that because there's so many auditions I would go to in the beginning. And the first time I'd be saying it out loud was in the audition. No. And so it's like practice. Cause you know, for me, when I memorize, I'm just like whispering to myself, like a poltergeist, you know, yeah. like in the corner and then just being like, yeah, I got it memorized. I'm good. Um, but like for pacing, try and run it out loud as many times as you can with someone. I have like one friend who we've just decided where each other's go to. So we never feel guilty and find someone you feel, especially for the self tape that you feel like super comfortable with. And that will give you notes or advice when you ask for them, but won't get you in your head about it. Cause I think Excellent. it's just so easy to get in your head, especially during these self tapes. Cause they are stressful. You're basically self-producing. Mm. You're setting up the ring light and the camera, and then you have to edit it afterwards. And I know the minute I get it in my inbox until I hit send, it's like on uh, my shoulders are like shrugged up to my yeah. ears, and then I can finally relax. Um, so I would say take them one at a time, and just I always just remind myself like, well, this isn't something I've never done before. So even if I'm stressed mm. about it, this is not something I've never done before. This is something I know I can do. Excellent. And it's just a muscle that we have mm-hmm. to practice. And the more we practice it, the more comfortable we get. But that being said, everyone's capacity is different. And a lot of people have a lot more social anxiety or get a lot more nervous. So I would just say try and find little things to make you as comfortable as possible. Mm. And like I never have like props and things like that. Because I'm like, why do I need to distract from just even memorizing these lines? Like, make it simple for yourself. Like, I don't, I'm not in casting, but I wouldn't say they're going to care if I'm like, oh, they didn't separate the eye line when they were talking to two different people. Yeah. That gets me in my head. So I don't worry about it. I look at the same person the entire time. (laughs) 
I mean, I could be wrong. And casting people, please at me and correct me if it is bad. And maybe she's that's not wrong because she books. <laughs> Yeah, there yeah. You go. but like make it try and make it as easy as possible on yourself i would say that's great advice yeah yeah this is all pure gold oh i did go on, i did go on one audition one time because my agent was so mad at me for like saying no to everything <laughs> okay. she was like please just go so i did go and it was um this like big kind of studio action movie and i went oh. and I, I went and i uh i did it you know and she, the customer goes, hey, okay, so can you do it one more time? This time I would say just a little more like artistic. And I was like, artistic, okay. And like my brain is just like immediately like, what does that mean? I don't understand. And then she goes, I started doing it. And she goes, no, no, no. I said autistic, <gasps> like having autism. And I was like, oh, honey. I was like, no, 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 no. Oh my God. So, <laughs> I know, isn't it? Funny. <laughs> um, I mean, you basically, we ask everyone for their worst audition horror story on this podcast. So there's- That was there's, my only audition. My one. only audition. Yeah. yeah. It's no wonder yeah. that you're not exactly chomping at the bit to get more, so. Yeah, I was like, cause it, then it was like very clear to me that like I was called in because they wanted this character to be on the spectrum. And I guess like I, a lot of people, um, because I get, People say to me, I love your show Atypical, like all the time. A lot of people get confused and they okay. think autism and cerebral palsy are the same thing. And honey, sweetie, you heard it here first in the envelope. They're not. Sweetie, honey. <laughs> Google it, please. Yeah, please, yeah. please Google it. Please, that information it's is not chic. there. Yeah. Yeah, it's not chic. That's wild. Ponan, yeah. do you have a worst audition horror story to relive? Um, we make actors relive their traumas on this podcast. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I've, I've, I haven't had one where someone's been like awful to me. Thank God. Like, you know, you've had like your rude casting directors or like not even rude, like dismissive or whatever. Um, Mm. I think the thing that made me the most uncomfortable is like when I feel like I've walked into an audition and I've looked at the other people around me and I'm like, guess I'm the wild card because like I've walked into rooms and I'm like, did I completely misinterpret what this character is? And I'm like, oh yeah, she's like girl next door or whatever. And I'm in like a t-shirt and jeans and I go in and it's like all <clears throat> super hot model looking girls in like high heels. And that doesn't happen as much anymore. Cause I think people have figured out that's not me, but like in those situations you can't help, but like look around and be like, did I completely misread what this was? How are we in the same category? But in those moments, I'm just kind of like, well, I'm going to do my thing and that's all I can do. But I will say one of my first auditions ever in Chicago, um, the character description was Kina, black and hot as hell. And I was like, (laughs) well, guys, you've got to know that I'm not black. Like problematic things there. Yeah. Truly, yeah. like, flattered by the hot as hell. I was in sure, my 20s, but... Good. Was yeah, good. but I went in, and it was me and a bunch of, like, super tall, hot black women. And I was like, why am I here? Needless to say, I didn't get it. Um, but I remember, like, certain situations like that where you're just kind of like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Casting is, a, casting is wild. Casting is a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but I did really want to ask you both. You are on this show that portrays intimacy on camera in a very, uh, can I say, realistic, authentic way. Uh-huh. And 
uh, again, back to the advice, like what is your advice for navigating that comfortably on set? Well, I would say from my point of view, uh, hire gay actors to play gay parts because um, explaining to a straight guy named Chris how anal sex works on set is like <laughs> not fun and can delete years off your life medically. Okay. So, um, you know, hire your gay friends. There's like a baseline comfortability. Um, I mean, I think our show, we had, a, we had an intimacy coordinator season two. We didn't have one season one, but um, I think it's maybe... I feel bad even talking about it because like I can't speak for the the lovely men that I had sex scenes with, but I I, I feel like there was a it was a very comfortable set and um, I feel like the people that I had sex scenes with I mean with with Max Jenkins like he's one of my good friends I've known him for years um, and I just feel like there's just this innate comfortability with each other. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, that was sort of my, my experience has been great. I don't know, Poonam, what about you? Yeah, no, I had a great experience in special. I would say like overall, just be like really, really honest about what you're comfortable with and what you're not and don't apologize for that. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you know, like where I'm at, there was probably certain things I wasn't as comfortable with as far mm-hmm. as like nudity and things. And I actually, since the first show I've ever been on, have been like really honest about it. Cause even the first show I was ever on, I had like a sex scene and they wanted, I believe more of my like lingerie to show. And it was like my first job. I had just moved to LA. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I can't even believe I booked this. But in that moment, I was really lucky enough to work with a director who, first of all, was like, as a man, I'm never going to tell you what to do. He's like, also, if you feel more comfortable talking to a female producer about it, you can. Mm -hmm. He made it feel so comfortable. And I was really able to be like, I don't want to show that. I just didn't, you know, more so because I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think I'll eventually get there. But I know, again, Mm -hmm. it's a distraction for me. And I don't want to be worrying about that when I want to focus on my performance or when I want to focus on doing a good job. And so same with auditions, same with TV, like making it as easy on yourself as possible while also like challenging yourself too. Like, I think I definitely pushed myself beyond, you know, what I have in the past with season two, as far as intimacy, (laughs) I'd never done like as intimate scenes as I do in season two. And I was like, like, no, I loved it. You don't know what I agree. I was like, Poonam, you're going to be having a lot of sex this season. I'm deeply sorry. But whatever and you I was want like, to That's do. fine. I'm just not showing my boobs. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. And, it, was, you know, it was honestly, it was very Carrie Bradshaw of you. I thought it was chic. I loved it. And that's what made me feel comfortable. And there's ways to show intimacy with whatever level you're comfortable with. Um, yes. But yeah, I think having the intimacy coordinator to also just like, you know, it's like not really sexy because it's like you're positioning your bodies your like tilt your head this way to kiss and like it's more the build up to it that is more nerve-wracking mm. and then once you do the first rehearsal even you're just like mm. oh this is just playing pretend um yeah. but having a coordinator there really was helpful to be like oh when you lean this way this is showing this way or if you're leaning this way you're covering this like your bra showing That's in great. this we can't show this your mic pack show like just having someone's eyes on you because you don't know Totally. Yeah. You have no idea what your face looks like. (laughs) That's great. It sounds like the emerging theme here is like create an environment on set that is comfortable and safe and that frees you up because it's all this is all in the service of the creativity, right? Mm -hmm. In service of the story. 
that's the that's the ultimate goal right yeah it's so weird that when I mean, they say like it, uh it all comes from the top down so like i felt i felt i mean it's in my nature to always have a fun cool environment because like mm-hmm. i want to enjoy where i go to work every day i want to make the best show possible i want everyone to, to like around me to feel supported and happy but it's also like i did feel like i did feel like my presence in a way where I was like, oh yeah, like I really am kind of like the cheerleader for set. I am setting the tone and people are looking to me. And that's just something I've never really experienced before. Like I'm not used to that. I'm used to kind of being like the executive story editor that's like hiding behind a pole eating like nachos at the craft services. Like that's, so like it was interesting to like kind of be entering set as like, you know, the the lead actor and the, the showrunner creator or whatever. That was a different vibe and like, I, I I knew that it was a responsibility and it was something to not be abused and to be very cognizant of. And like, again, harness your power for, for good and creating a really happy, joyful set. Mm-hmm. Also, when you're working on a show where like not everyone's making a lot of money and like whatever, and I, like I think that like our set anyway was innately really great because like, yeah, no one was there for a f-ing paycheck. Let's put it that way. And so everyone was there because they loved the show and they loved what we were making so that also i think fostered just a really positive environment in general that's so cool that is so cool to hear you guys thank you i have to let you go soon um we also asked this of everyone do you have a favorite performance uh stage screen anything or um more specifically is there a performance you think every actor should see and study and why That's a really, really good question. It's hard to pick one. Martin, no, I was kidding. Yeah, yeah you mentioned Martin Lawrence. Yeah, no, 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 joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I'll think of something. I know it, right. this is a this is a really hard one. I immediately went to like a jokey, not real place, which was like, you should watch. Don't tell. Um, no, no. Um, Adventures in babysitting, and watch uh, Brenda who gets trapped in the <laughs> the train station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh, you know what I thought? I have one I watched recently that I thought was really good. Um, The show Seven Seconds on Netflix. Um, I thought Regina King's performance was like, Mm. I mean, she's just phenomenal because it looks like you're watching an actual human being. And she just does things so subtly, but also with such intensity. And I think that's a really hard thing to balance those two. And she does it so seamlessly. Mm. Great. And I'll be choice. I'll be really basic and say Lisa Kudrow on the comeback because I feel like that is such same a, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's so brilliant and it's yeah. so well done and it's so like I I just uh, I, oh I, and you know what actually I'm watching uh, Lena uh, you know oh my God Laura Dern in Enlightened which yes. I which I totally missed the boat on and now I'm in season two. Laura Dern, first of all, it makes me mad like anyone cared about her in Big Little Lies because like truly she's just playing a gay man and like I love that and respect <laughs> that, but like she's just a gay guy in Big Little Lies. And in uh in in Enlightened, it's this incredibly nuanced, complicated performance where like your your allegiance to her is always shifting. It's like at one point you're feeling profound empathy for her, and in another moment she's driving you fucking insane. And that can be with all like that can be all within the same scene and conversation. And that I'm watching it, and I'm truly blown away by how brilliantly drawn she is because she is just truly so complicated. And, and Laura Dern like 
infuses her with such specificity and like warmth and like you just know this person she does this thing my character does this thing that like blew my mind because like do you know those kinds of people that like will be like oh well i was with you know with josh obviously and then we went to blah blah, blah and you're like no no i don't know josh who the fuck is josh like it's mm-hmm. like this it's like totally. this narcissistic trait where like this person doesn't even bother to like fill you in and they just assume that you know Josh, who they went thrifting with. And you're like, anyway, this character, Amy, that Laura Dern plays in the light and does that. She'll be like, well, you know, me and Bobby. And she's like, I don't know Bobby. Who the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, and I just like, I just thought that was such a really amazing detail that I've experienced throughout my life via a myriad of narcissists. And like, I just thought it was like such a, I don't know. Anyway, so Laura Dern in that movie blows me away. And yeah. That's great. I feel like another theme of this, of this lovely conversation, thank you both so much, is like naturalness on camera and like Laura Dern, Regina King. And I love this note that Poonam, you gave to Ryan of like, you're just, you're having a conversation. That's a great acting mm-hmm. note. It's not, it's not too basic. It's not, a, it's, an, it's important yeah. for people to hear that. Yeah. Well, because it's like you can get really in your head, in your head, zombie, zombie about it. And it's like, <laughs> I I just feel like sometimes when you really dismantle it, because I feel like acting can kind of seem as this like intensive boogeyman that you need to suffer for and like, you know, yeah. go method or whatever. And like, yeah. if you really just strip it down to its barest sense, it really is having conversation. And like, it, I feel like it, it does away with all that, you know, booby trapped bullshit that you get in your head about it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like you said, Punam, it's a height. It's heightened. It is a heightened. Yeah. Often a heightened version of yourself, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Character. Any last minute, like parting words of wisdom for early career artists? You've both covered a lot. Um, I would say, even though it's hard because I know we're all passionate and we want things so badly, try and really build a full life for yourself because it'll enrich your work Mm. and it'll keep you from sucking the joy out of the work because you're not putting too much pressure on it. Like make sure you're balancing your life and building a really full, well-rounded one. Even if you move to LA just to act, make sure you move to LA also to make other life changes or build another type of life here too. Yeah. Wonderful. And I would say walk around with the confidence of Rob Schneider circa 1998. (laughs) Um, I think that, I think that when you're a marginalized person, I think the biggest hurdles sometimes can be yourself and believing that you deserve the things. When I talk about not admitting to myself that I wanted to be an actor, it's I think because I felt like I was already greedy for wanting my own show and for wanting to write and create and produce and all those things. Because by the way, there was no one like me in that position of power, like at all. So there was no even like reference point for anything that I was doing. Right. And I feel like just believing that you deserve to be there. Like I look at like literally like David fucking Spade and like Adam Sandler's shitty movies. And I know he can be good. So like, I'm not talking about the good ones, but like the shitty ones he shits out like Jack and Jill and murder mystery, whatever the fuck. Like you have these like straight white guys who literally are like barely in a coma, like almost in a coma, like weekend at Bernie's like showing up, do like the bare minimum. And like, they think they're the shit. They think they're and awesome and it's like are you kidding me like i'm just like i literally whenever i start to doubt myself which like tbh isn't that often because i'm like i'm truly like laser focused and i'm like you um but damn but i think about i think about those idiots in the late 90s that made millions of dollars off of making poopy fart jokes that were terrible and like they never once probably questioned like gee like do I deserve this 20 million dollar paycheck for Deuce Bigelow Mel Gigolo no he (laughs) 
went to Bank of America and he cashed the goddamn check. Okay. Yeah. So that. That's uh, that's such a perfect full circle note. This is so like you absolutely actors deserve to be there. It's like you said, put on like just because you're at the beginning of your career doesn't mean you're like worth less than yeah the person standing next to you or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. What a wonderful note to end on. You guys, thank you. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi guys, Christine McKenna-Torella here. I felt so artistically inspired by this week's interview that I, I went back and I binged watched season one of Special. It's so endearing and honest and queer and I loved it. The format's 15 minutes per episode, so it's very easy to kind of digest it in one go. It's really, really sweet. If you haven't checked it out, it is on Netflix. As you heard, Ryan had an amazing team of established producers like Jim Parsons on board, and they had to pitch this story around town for years, literally years, before a a studio picked it up. And it's a great story. A need-to-be-told-not-told-enough story. I have two key takeaways from this, uh, and it really sets me on fire. One is for actors and one's for creators. First of all, the importance of self-belief, perseverance, and grit in this business. Not everyone is going to get you or your project. Some people might love you and your acting, but it's not a fit for the project they're working on. Some people won't be brave enough to take a chance on you. As you embark on your career, keep in focus that it is not you. It's not your looks, it's not your writing, it's not your talent. You are good enough and your unique opinion and your perspective is needed. You just have to find your tribe, the community that will value you. We talk a lot about mindset. I did a few episodes on it, like kind of back closer to the start of the year. And there are many articles on Backstage about perseverance and honing your craft while you wait for that big opportunity to hit. Secondly, inclusion and diversity in storytelling is so important. Ryan says it best. If you're afraid to take risks in your storytelling, if you're afraid you won't appeal to everyone and you water down your message, you lose your viewpoint and you will appeal to no one. From my casting table seat, I am advocating for inclusive casting of all types. We have to change our language and breakdowns to go beyond we do not discriminate against marginalized groups, etc. That that kind of usual sentence you see at the start or the end of a job listing. And we have to actively cast differently abled people and beyond. A huge eye-opener and a takeaway from the pandemic for me was the fact that virtual auditions are so successful, right? We can see and cast talent remotely. And why that's important is that it gives us opportunities to see people that may not be able to travel easily into the city for auditions due to maybe a physical restriction or because they have full-time jobs, God forbid, to support themselves or they have kids or they don't live in New York or LA or London. But we should be able to see more diverse, more inclusive talent because we can see them on a self-tape. We can see them on a virtual audition. And in 2021, please let it go without saying, but I've got to say it because it still happens today. 
able-bodied actors should not be playing disabled or differently abled people on television and film because representation matters and authenticity matters. On to the casting calls for this week. I have a stroller commercial that are looking for a real family, seeking a family, ideally two parents and three kids. That's fun. (laughs) Uh, The pay is really great. It is in the SoCal area, LA to SoCal. So if you're in that area and you have a family, check that listing out. We also have a nationwide highlight seeking actual Robin Hood users, that app for financial stuff, for testimonials. It is a nationwide casting for the U.S. So if you've been using that app, um, they'll be asking you to, to film at home. Great opportunity there. And finally, there's a big, uh, big casting on the site right now for an upcoming feature film from Steven Spielberg and Ablam Entertainment. It's called The Fablemans. It's casting for two boys, one teenager and one tweenage. They're playing the same role, but obviously at different stages of that person's life. Big opportunity there. Huge open call. So if you know any young boys getting into acting, take a look. All the details are on the site. And of course, as always, there are hundreds of castings for every type of actor in every region on Backstage.com. So head over there to check our castings out. That's all from me for now. Break a leg in your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.